Well, can you believe that it is already November? I mean, some of you are like, absolutely, because 2020 has been the longest decade of my life. And listen, I get it. I get it. We're not even to the election yet. And so it's like, oh my gosh, this, this is just a crazy year, right? But we are right in the heart of like pumpkin season, pumpkin spice season. And doesn't it kind of feel like pumpkins just came back with the vengeance a few years ago? It's like there's pumpkin everything now. And I don't know if pumpkin spice is like your cup of tea or coffee or whatever it is, but I do know it's pumpkin season. And if you do carve pumpkins, let this serve as a reminder, hey, why don't you go ahead and pitch those off of your porch this week before they begin to rot. All right. You are welcome for that. But listen, a few years ago, uh, my wife took our kids to go pick out some pumpkins. All right. Not from a patch, but from the grocery store, like a big cardboard box, which makes for great fall family pictures. But she went and she picked out pumpkins and she let each of them kind of select the one they wanted to bring home and to carve. And so when I got home, my son, Grayson, who at the time was three years old, he was just buzzing with excitement. He was so excited. He was like, dad, I've got to show you my pumpkin. And so he took me out to the front stoop and, and he showed me this pumpkin and he said, dad, I got the one with the butt. And so Grayson, Grayson is just this kid who's so funny, man. Like he's one of my, like my, my favorite funniest people I've ever met. He's full of one-liners, keeps me on my toes. And, and he's six and a half years old now. But when we when we take it back, but before the pumpkin, we take it actually all the way back to when Grayson was just hours old. Uh, we found our, ourselves like in a sterilized hospital room. Many of you have kind of been in a similar place, right? And our, our newborn son, who's just a few pounds, right, a few hours old, and we were welcoming him into the world. And, and we we're kind of tasting his name off our tongue as we we're saying it for the very first time with him hearing it from us and in the middle of the night like the first night that he spent on this planet in the middle of the night I'm changing my son and I feel this knot on his chest this big knot and parents maybe you've been there but 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 regardless you know there, there's no feeling of hopelessness quite like not knowing what's wrong with your child much less not being able to do anything about it so we alert our nurses and the doctors and then we've got pediatricians and teams and and then we're not being uh, filled with a lot of confidence because they are asking way more questions than they seem to have answers to and so we just jump forward almost a week and Grayson is eight days old and we're at Cincinnati Children's Hospital this world-renowned children's health care facility and we hand over our eight-day-old image of God into the hands of of doctors for him to be put under for a biopsy. You see, they, they were going to determine what this unknown mass was. And so we went to the waiting room and we did what it instructs you to do. We waited. We waited for what felt like an eternity. And in the waiting, I began to read familiar stories. Some of the stories that we have unpacked in this series called Even If. And, and as I was reading those stories, this testimony from, from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we unpacked last week, it kind of hit me like a Mack truck. I was reading from Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 17. They say that if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able, he is able to rescue us 
from your hand. He's able to save us from the fiery furnace, O king. But even if, get this, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I love that, that I believe that God will move, but even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a difference. It wouldn't change a thing. And in that season, in that waiting room, I honestly began to pray for an even if brand of faith that my confidence would not be dependent on my circumstance because I wasn't sure. Like I wasn't sure if my heart and my soul and my mind could handle the crushing blow that I deemed worst case scenario for my son. And honestly, I still don't know, but I'm not alone. Because as I looked around that waiting room filled with loved ones waiting on smaller loved ones made all in the image of God, I'm filled with the room of strangers who are all placing their hope in something or someone or a combination of both. And that's where I found myself. And, and, and I realized you're only admitted to a world-renowned healthcare facility like Cincinnati Children's if your child is fighting if they're fighting for their life. And so I pray nothing eloquent, just, just like uh, jumbled up emotion, just raw, like, like emotion was just coming out. You maybe have been there, right? Like when you don't have the strength to cry, when it hurts to breathe, like your throat feels just like it's closing in, when it, when it feels like, like your, your, your whole neck is being weighted down with the wrecking ball that just keeps pounding in your gut and, and you have no words. You just, you just pray. And you see, prayer is this conduit by which God's power comes into our lives, but it's also a conduit by which God's power is released through our lives. And so we fast forward, and thankfully the tumor was benign. And though the doctors eventually had to remove part of two tiny ribs to extract the mass they feared would encroach on vital organs, other than a scar on my son's chest, after a few weeks in the hospital, he was just fine. And we followed up for a few years with, with appointments to monitor any additional growth. But to this day, he's completely healthy and we praise God for that. But now I know stories just like that, situations just like ours that have been bathed in prayer and people who've pleaded with the Holy Spirit to miraculously provide healing or to provide good results or great news, stories just like ours that didn't end up like ours. And I have no explanation. In fact, on this side of heaven, it will never make sense. And so I continue to pray that I will have faith to trust God, even if God's will does not align with the answers I'm longing for. And so as we sit down to, to map out this series, to map out the series of, of stories from the Old Testament book of Daniel, you quickly see a theme of uncompromising, unscathed, and unwavering faith. In other words, you see examples of even if faith. And so it makes sense to name this series, Even If. And today we're diving into the final of three stories, one that many of you are familiar with. It's one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. It's one many people call Daniel in the lion's den. But before we do, let me set the stage. You see, at this point, Daniel is likely in his 80s. 
and he's risen through the political ranks to become one of the top three overseers of the entire kingdom. But he's an Israelite exile. And so a quick recap, when Daniel was a teenager, he and many others were kidnapped, dragged out of their hometown of Jerusalem by the Babylonian army and taken to a faraway country, which is found in modern day Iraq. And scholars say that Daniel was probably right around his middle school years, 11, 12, maybe 13 years old when this happened. But why did it happen? You see, essentially, God had told Israel that if they were unfaithful to him, he would send them out of the promised land into exile. And after repeated warnings, warning after warning after warning, they refused to turn from their wicked ways. And so God kept his word to them. And Nebuchadnezzar rode in with the Babylonian army into Jerusalem, killing thousands and taking a bunch more as slaves. And so Daniel finds himself in a foreign land where he's been stripped of all of his heritage and everything that made him unique, including his name. But because of God's provision in the way of a unique skill set that he gave Daniel, he's been offered a position in the king's service, in the king's court, like, like in the cabinet, so to speak. And with, with the only other option being death, Daniel obliges. And in doing so, he proved his courage and God goes on to prove his faithfulness. Okay, so that's the backdrop. But meanwhile, meanwhile, kind of paralleling this story, there's a letter that is written by a prophet named Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, he writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon, of which Daniel would have been a recipient of this letter. And the letter is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. And this is what it says, beginning with verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 7 continues, I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Listen to what this is saying. God is communicating to his people who have been captive and they've been taken into exile. They as slaves to Babylon, and he's saying, listen, I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city you're in now. He goes on, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Then he goes on in verse 10, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And then here it is, 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, that's a verse that, that really does. It looks great on a bumper sticker or a bookmark. And it may be some of your favorite verses in the entire Bible. But, but let me just point out. How many times do we jump to the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, but we want no part of the process of the 70 years of exile that leads to that promise? In other words, we want the promise, but we don't always want the process, right? It's like God is saying, listen, I have a plan for your future, but you're far from it right now. Like I have a plan that is coming, but you're in captivity right now. Now, and we won't want to think about it, but, but oftentimes you have to work the process to arrive at 
the promise. You see, Daniel would have heard these words when he was a young man about praying for Babylon. And it seemed that Daniel heeded these words well into old age. Again, he's likely in his 80s now. And after, after six decades of government service, he finally faces a situation like his three friends faced in the fiery furnace. Unresolvable tension between the law of God and the law of the land. And while Monty talked a lot about Daniel's character earlier in this series, it's safe to say that Daniel's welfare over the last 80 years had come about because he cared about the welfare of the Babylonians, which could not have been easy. I mean, think about that. They were, after all, his enemies. And though he's an executive now, he's still an exile. He's still an outsider. And that's where we pick up in Daniel chapter 6. You see, there's this new ruler of the land now, a new ruler named King Darius, and he rolls out a new org chart to the 120 governors overseeing this massive regime. And in doing so, he shares his plans to appoint Daniel, not just top three, but as prime minister of this entire kingdom. And that made his peers super jealous. Like, like you ever worked for something really hard and instead of celebrating with you, those around you become jealous of your accomplishments? Maybe it's a classmate or a coworker, teammate. Maybe you felt that before. Well, that's how Daniel felt, only amplified. And so when that intel was leaked, that Daniel was up for this promotion, the palace conspiracy machine kicked into high gear and these leaders, they did all they could to dig up dirt on Daniel, I mean, they scoured the bills that he endorsed. They summoned his bank statements. They sifted through emails. They scrubbed social media accounts, but nothing. They could come up with nothing to hold over his head and to block the promotion. And so they knew their only chance was to involve the one thing Daniel was completely devoted to, which was God. And so verse 6 in chapter 6, it says, So these administrators, the satraps, they went as a group to the king, and they said, may King Darius live forever. Listen, here's what they're doing. They're sucking up. Like, like they, they come and they say, oh, you're, you're most exalted magnificence. How are you doing today, king? You're looking good. They come in, they're like, listen, king, I don't know if anybody's told you lately, but you are cooler than Kool-Aid, man. You the man. And they are sucking up to King Darius. They continue. They say, listen, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors have all agreed, which let's pause for a moment because isn't Daniel among these? Isn't Daniel among the, the leaders, if not the chief leader at this point? And so they begin with an outright lie to get what they want. It continues, listen, king, we have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And so they come to him and they're appealing to, to his pride and they're saying, you are so awesome. You know what? We've got this idea. Like, let's make a law that everyone has to worship you for 30 days. That's how awesome you are. And then they, they go on, verse 8. Now, your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing like let's make this official so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repealed 
Verse 9, so King Darius put the decree in writing. All right, so these officials, they've conspired against Daniel, right? And, and they well know of his devotion to the Lord. And so they get the king to make this irreversible decree that no God may be worshipped for 30 days except for him. And he falls to the flattery and bad political advice. And, and th these rulers, they play their cards right and they appeal to his pride. And sure enough, he signs this decree. And if someone were to break it, they would be thrown into the lion's den, which is their ultimate form of punishment. Now we have to understand that this Medo-Persian edict they're speaking of is essentially like chiseling and cementing law into stone. Like it cannot be overturned for the duration of the law. I, I think, think like blood covenant or, or like pinky promise, sort of. Now, now verse 10, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published. I love this. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. You see, Daniel, Daniel didn't take his, his marching orders or, or his spiritual guidance from the king or from the news, or from a law, or, or, or what was trending, or what was politically correct. Daniel did as he had always done. He persisted in prayer. And I believe that there are two things that we can learn from the way that Daniel approached prayer. You see, Daniel's prayers were defined by enduring discipline and hopeful expectation. His prayers were defined by enduring discipline and hopeful expectation. It tells us that that Daniel would pray three times a day, just as he had always done and just as he was taught as a child back in Jerusalem. So as often as he ate, he would pray. Every time he drew physical strength, he paused to draw spiritual strength as well. You see, prayer was the key to his strength. His enduring discipline, when it came to prayer, allowed him to face the day-to-day -day struggles of life. And when you step back, and you see this as a big picture. That means that Daniel prayed for 60 years before God answered. 60 years. Like if you're doing the math, that's over 65,000 intentional prayers while in exile in Babylon. And what was he praying for? The welfare of his enemies. He's praying for Babylon, for the leadership, and for God to help. He was still giving thanks in spite of his circumstance for 60 years, enduring discipline and hopeful expectation. And so the litmus test is to flip this around and ask ourselves and to say, are my prayers marked by enduring discipline and hopeful expectation? Are your prayers, are your prayers marked by enduring discipline and hopeful expectation? Because here's another wild example. That there's this one time Daniel was, was praying about something. He was out like by the river and, and he was praying and a man clothed in bright linen walked up to him and he said, like any angel will begin, he says, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. I want to pause there for just a moment. This angel shows up and he says, this is, this is awesome, man. You started praying, God answered, and I am delivering the message. As soon as you began praying, God had an answer 
before you and, and I have come to bring it. Verse 13, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Listen, this just oozes with awesomeness and a bit of confusion too. You see, on that day that Daniel started to pray, God answered and he sent an angel with his message. But while he was on his way to deliver it, he gets like attacked and held up in this cage match with the demon. Okay, and, and then, and then he, he's caught up in this. So, so Michael shows up, who's kind of like the Liam Neeson of angels, right? He's like, good luck. And he shows up, and, and they kind of like duke it out. And so this guy, he, he kind of arrives to him sort of out of breath, and he's like, hey, listen, I'm sorry I'm late. I was held up by a demon. It's like, what? Like, what in the world is going on up there? Like, we don't even fully grasp at all, like the spiritual warfare that's happening around us. But listen, it doesn't say directly that this second angel came because Daniel kept praying. But you have to wonder about the connection. Like, like what if Daniel would have quit praying on day 20? And, and there's so much mystery here, it'd be unwise to speculate. But I know that the uniform teaching in Scripture is that some answers are only given in response to persistent prayer. So you've been praying for 20 days and no answer? Keep praying. You've been praying for 60 years and no answer? Keep praying. And I struggle with this. Like, how do you know when to persist in prayer and when to rest in the sovereignty of God? Because the Bible actually presents both sides. And honestly, there's no pastor who could ever give you a formula as the Holy Spirit has to, to guide you through this. But I would say that a general rule is to keep pressing through until God makes it clear for you to stop. Because what if Daniel stopped on day 20? What if Daniel stopped in year 59? And, and when it is something that you are sure is from God's word, that you are interpreting correctly, that God wants never give up, press through until you see it to realization. So that thing that God has put in your heart, that place you know God wants to work in you, has God told you to stop praying about it? Then don't. That job you feel is a collision of passion and skill set. Keep praying. A relationship that feels impossibly gone. Keep praying. That horrendous diagnosis. Keep praying. That person in your life who desperately needs the hope of Jesus. Keep praying. You know, history tells us that D.L. Moody, who, who was uh, kind of a, a famous American um, a revivalist and evangelist, and he kind of became like the chaplain for the Union Army and the Civil War, that, that he had this list of a hundred names, a hundred people that he believed to come to faith. And at the time of his death, he had been praying for each of these people by name at the time of his death, 96 had come to know the Lord. But at Moody's funeral, his last four People came to faith in Christ. That's enduring discipline. Or it's like when my son, Beckett, who we were, we were at the library last winter, and, and instead of looking at all the books, he wanted to play with the toys, specifically the dinosaurs. And I kind of walk over to see what's going on. And unprompted, Beckett is sitting here. He had realized that the T-Rex had a broken leg. And so he gathered all the other dinosaurs around, and he put his hand on him. He said, let's pray to God. And that's hopeful 
expectation, to have the faith of a child, right? So are my prayers marked by enduring discipline and hopeful expectation? Because get this, enduring discipline and hopeful expectation are the ingredients of even if faith. Enduring discipline and hopeful expectation are the ingredients of even if faith. And so the story continues, right? This decree has been made and we don't know how much time has passed at this point. A few days, weeks, we don't really know, but we're still inside that 30 day window, verse 11. Then these men, the guys who were setting Daniel up, right? They went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And what do they do next? Well, my house, we call it tattling. They run to the king and they say, hey, king, didn't you publish like a, a law recently, like something where nobody could pray to like it? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody could pray to anyone. Nobody could worship any other person or God except me. And they're like, ah, that's it. That's it. And if they did, wasn't there a punishment? Yeah, if they did, they would be thrown into the lion's den. They're like, ah, that's it. Hey, actually, Daniel, you know, the exile from Jerusalem. Man, he's been praying, but not just he's been praying three times a day. And in that moment, it kind of hits the king, you see, because the king actually liked Daniel and he goes on to spend the entire day trying to figure out how to save Daniel. But, but his weak will and his crave for admiration had landed him in a sticky spot. And so while he spent all day trying to undo the mess, it was to no avail. And so these guys, they remind the king of the decree, the unchangeable edict, the pinky Promise, right? And he has no choice of verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, get this, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Listen, King Darius is hopeful in a God he doesn't yet believe in. He's telling Daniel, he's crying out to God on Daniel's behalf because he's seen his faith and he's seen that Daniel stands even, even if things don't go his way. And so he throws him in verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Might not. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. So Daniel gets thrown in to the den of the lions. And remember, King Darius never wanted this to happen. He was just gullible. He was weak-willed. And so he stays up all night worrying about Daniel. I mean, he's distraught. He's fasting. He's, he's likely 62, 63 years old at this point. And he's lamenting the atrocious act that he committed, knowing that only by the divine work of God he'd never met would Daniel be saved. And I love this. At daybreak, as soon as the sun rises, King Darius rushed down to that lion's den and he's, he's checking in, seeing if somehow God performed the miraculous, seeing if Daniel somehow made it through the night. And there he was, like coffee in hand, kind of like a football fan on Thanksgiving, just watching the lions, like lay there, right? And, and, and Daniel had been spared, but here's the wild part. That King Darius had been up all night worrying. Daniel's enemies had been up all night celebrating. And it seems Daniel's the only one who got a good night's sleep. Because Daniel was resting peacefully in the promises of God because he was faithful to 
the process. His even if faith had become an even though story. You see, his even if faith became an even though story. In verse 23, the king was overjoyed. Check out what happens. He gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then he gathers up all those false accusers and he throws them into that very same lion's den. And and it says before they even like hit the floor, they are completely demolished by these ravenous, hungry lions. And then he drops a new law of the land, verse 26. Listen to the power in this statement from someone who's just met God Almighty says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. You see, God kept Daniel safe through his prayer and the plot of the wicked man was overturned and God was glorified. But don't conclude the message of this story being simply, if you pray and you trust God, he'll always keep you safe and deliver you from harm because we know that's not true. I mean, lots of God's people die in the lion's den. Like the message of this story actually points beyond itself, like all Old Testament stories. In fact, Daniel points to someone much more impressive and heroic, Jesus. You see, the story of Daniel points to one who is yet to come. You know, Daniel was innocent yet sentenced to death. Who else was innocent yet sentenced to death? Jesus. Daniel's cave was sealed shut with the stone. Whose tomb was sealed shut with a stone? Jesus. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, and Psalm 22 describes the crucifixion like being encircled by roaring lions who will tear apart their prey with their powerful jaws. But Daniel came through the trial of the night without a scratch. Jesus? Jesus limped out of his trial covered in wounds. And for me personally, every time I see the scar on my son's chest, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness, but I'm also reminded of our scar-covered Savior and how Isaiah 53 tells us that it's by his wounds we are healed. And so, so what that says It's that whatever trial I'm in, it's going to be okay because I know that God loves me. I know his presence is with me and he will never leave me or forsake me. So I can pray for 60 years and I can handle it when I cry out for deliverance from the lions. And it doesn't come because Jesus has proven his love and commitment for me at the cross. And sometimes as hard as it is to hear the miracle of God, The miracle that God performs isn't necessarily to prolong temporary life here on earth, but to begin eternal life there in heaven. And so it is a miracle that spares Daniel's life, but an even greater miracle takes place in the lives of those around him. Stirred by his faith, this Medo-Persian ruler issues a proclamation that everyone in his kingdom must fear and revere the God of Daniel. And get this. 
Very soon, this empire that has passed laws throughout its history against Jewish worship will escort the exiles back to their homeland and allow them to rebuild the temple. Because let me remind you of some words that a young Daniel, right about middle school age, would have heard decades prior from the prophet Jeremiah. That when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But you have to work the process to arrive at the promise. But what a gift we have in prayer that I can press through, I can persist and not be discouraged. I can approach the throne room of God in heaven with confidence laden prayers marked by enduring discipline and hopeful expectation because the cross shows me how much he cares about me. And so when we step back, we step back and we see all of these stories as one continuous story of God. And we look at the even if stories from the book of Daniel, we begin to see how ancient accounts of God's faithfulness apply to our lives today. That even if the culture, the culture around me bows down to the pleasures and fears of this world, I will stand uncompromised. That even if in the midst of a faithful life, I am forced through the fire, I will come out unscathed. That even if I'm thrown into uncertainty, into brokenness, into the darkness, into torment and into pain, that my fate is seemingly sealed by my enemies, even if my candidate doesn't win, even if there's a spike in COVID, even if the diagnosis doesn't turn, the results are bad, even if my health falters, my job is lost, my friends aren't loyal, my family's dysfunctional, my God is still faithful. And even if I'm thrown into the lion's den, I will make it out with unwavering confidence because I know the one who shuts the mouths of my destroyers, I will make it out either alive and well the way I came or alive again because Jesus overcame. And so the hope that I profess is a testimony to the faith that I have that death cannot hold me because I know the one whose lifeless body was carried into a grave, a stone was put over to seal it. But on the third day, his heart began pulsing again like a drum, banging this continuous and resounding victory bell and proclaiming to the lions that you may roar, but I still see your leash. And though little kings like Darius wear those, those small titles in my life and they may lord it over me, that Jesus, the king, wears a crown for all eternity and his name is the name that is above all names and he lifts me up, he restores my soul and he replenishes my supply. And even if, even if my heart stops beating, my future is secure. Which means that ultimately, my confidence is not dependent on my circumstance because I believe that, that even if faith will eventually lead to even though stories. And so we hold on. We hold on to the promise and we work through the process with enduring discipline and with hopeful expectation. Let's pray. Father, how does the enemy 
scare a man who's already been thrown into the lion's den and knows the one who's going to get him out. But God, those tactics run dry in the wake of your faithfulness. So thank you for these examples of uncompromising, unscathed, and unwavering faith from the book of Daniel. And God, when we find ourselves in the midst of the fire or in a pit filled with lions, when our circumstance says otherwise, Father, steady our confidence in you. God, we humbly claim your promises as we seek to be faithful in the day-to-day process. So thank you, Jesus, for overcoming and then inviting us into that victory and let our prayers be marked with enduring discipline and hopeful expectation in your name, the name above all names we pray. Amen. What a powerful message by Pastor Philip in this series, even if has had such an impact on so many as we as we just look at these stories in the life of Daniel. And stories like Daniel in the lion's den is, is a commonly known tale from Scripture, right? That just speaks into a life of prayer and, and faith in God. And Philip mentioned the importance of prayer in our personal lives. And not just in times of crisis, but, but that we make it a part of our everyday life. That prayer is actually this, this communion and conversation with God. And I hope that you have been encouraged by by today's message to take a step of faith in in your own life. Maybe for some, it's literally praying for the very first time. And and maybe for others, it's, it's creating a disciplined life of prayer, communing with God each and every day. Now, if you've been impacted by this series, man, we would love to know that this Even If series, if it has touched your heart or, or called you to take a step, like, would you let us know? Would you like, we want to, we want to connect, okay? So put a hand up in the comment section today, drop a, drop a comment, or you can send us a note to notes to money at nccleks.org. And really, even if those, just those words make our very faith real because what is it it's a, it's a declaration I, i'm putting my flag on this hill even if god whatever may come i will follow you and i'll trust in you and i'll put my faith and god i trust in you with my future with my past with my family and and even with my finances and many of you have responded to this trust and faith with your finances through your consistent generosity and without your generosity none of this happens we wouldn't be able to host amazing events or even weekend services where people could come and experience the love of God and hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus so whether you give through the app or or you text to give or you give online I just want to thank you for your generosity and know that like it truly is having an internal impact and finally, if you're new with us, like we we're just so glad that you tuned in and, and hopefully that you were connected and felt something and were engaged in this, this closing of this series. Even if I encourage you to go back and check out the other two weekends, because it's just been so powerful again to walk through these stories and hear the life of Daniel and, and through the crisis of his time and see how he responds in faith and in trust to God. And look, if you'd love to, you want some more steps, you'd love to get connected, um, send us a, a message, notesmoney at nccleks.org, or actually the easiest way to stay connected is to download our NCC Lex app, okay? You can fill out a digital connect card that's going to get you in touch with 
the right person to help answer any questions or, or maybe you want to take a step and, and volunteer. That's going to be such an easy way to get connected here at Northeast. And listen, that's all we got for you guys today, but we will see you next week.